when I would just like whew, wherever I wanted to go. <laughs> it's the nice thing about Calgary, man. The pass system is fantastic. Oh yeah, you can get anywhere. So Edmonton's kind of lame. What made you move out there? The army. Okay, <laughs> that was it. I got posted to Edmonton right off the bat, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I did. I got posted. What well, did six years ish here in Edmonton? I did a couple years in Meaford out oh, in nice. Ontario and I had met my my now wife and mm-hmm. we had had a place out here and yeah just moved back don't like it though still no. don't like it <laughs> I, I hate Edmonton like with a passion so when we moved to Sherwood Park I can finally say I don't live in Edmonton anymore yeah. I live in Sherwood Park <laughs> and is Sherwood Park nice it is it's kind of like Oak Tokes okay yeah okay like it's just it's literally on the other side of the Henday like yeah. so it's right next to Edmonton, just like Oak Tokes is like just on the other side of uh, McLeod Trail kind of thing. Like when you get right on the south, you just, you're in Oak Tokes. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's nice, small town kind of feel. Not a lot of traffic, not a lot of people. No. And it, yeah. it feels good. Yeah. yeah. And I got two young boys and uh, they, we really wanted a yard for them to be able to play in. That's the big one. It's just, mm. you want to like, go burn off some energy, go outside, go play. You guys yeah. get Wait, that still exists? Go outside and play? Not just, here's an iPad? <laughs> there is that too. But yeah, we uh, we try and get them outside as much as possible because it's good to be outside. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, those are the best memories as a child, right? Being out there. Yeah. Although, yeah, I, I can't think, I can't say that uh, I have any great memories of me sitting on my cell phone yeah. or playing a video game on a tablet or even on a computer. Like, I, I remember the good memories I have about playing video games are like old school N64 where you're playing like split screen Mario Kart or 007 007 absolute golden eye <laughs> yeah all the way things like that uh F0 oh, another yeah. great one uh but yeah that's the kind of stuff where everyone had to come to your house yes and everyone would be hanging out maybe eating crap and playing video games yes. and talking shit to each other the whole time and those were the yeah. days yeah back in the day <laughs> yeah that shit doesn't happen anymore exactly N64 what's that yeah right I grew up so oh you might know this place um uh you ever heard of video game trader I don't know if they exist anymore do they they do actually yeah (laughs) so I used to work at video game trader for a number of years and uh when I started working there they were still renting Super Nintendo and Sega when I started working there oh this place looks super cool yeah so that's the new one that Jeff my buddy uh him and I used to work together eventually he bought it from uh the previous owner who we were working for mm-hmm. yep yeah this is the place that's down south right now yeah <laughs> i love this look i mean oh it just takes you back to like blockbuster it's, Rogers it's wicked video. yeah it's wicked they did such a great job there and they have everything you want something weird and unheard of some mm-hmm. random japanese thing they'll get it for you you need a fucking uh you know one of those bad boys mm-hmm you're good to go. You want a you want a original Nintendo with the friggin' zapper in box? They have it. They'll have it for you. Yeah. Wow. Oh my yeah. god! Look, they have all the Game Boys. As all well. the Game Boys, all the original games, Game Gears, Game Gear, Sega, oh, Sega, yeah. like Sega Saturn, <laughs> oh. weird shit like Neo Geo and like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So I used to work there, and I grew That's up cool, man. Yeah. as I was, uh, you know, going to high school and stuff. I was working here, but I spent yeah. most of my time. I got to watch as we went from Super Nintendo up to about Xbox. Uh, the Xbox 360 hadn't quite come out when I stopped working there. 
Oh, wow. Okay. So you were there for quite some time. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the uh, whole time we were living in Calgary, that nine years or so, maybe 12 years or so. I, don't, I can't remember. Anyway, the, the whole time I was watching. So I got to see, you know, Sega and then Sega CD and then Sega mm-hmm. Saturn. And then, and like, there's all the like, ooh, is PlayStation going to beat out Sega Saturn? Sega has all the game contracts and stuff. And then you watch PlayStation just fucking destroy people. Oh, right. And like, it was, it was cool. It was, a, it was a really neat experience. And now my kids are all like, can I play on the tablet? I'm like, I mean, I get. Yeah. <laughs> sure. the, the, the genesis was my first console what was yours mm, uh atari 6 2600 Ooh, nice yeah but we got it like it had been out for quite some time okay. <laughs> we got it like super old um but like the first i'd say new new console was the original nes that was that was pretty cool we got it with uh the uh duck hunt mario combo oh, yes. yeah I was a PlayStation guy, so my cousin actually gave me his with all these games, but they're all burnt mm-hmm. at the time. Remember, you could get the mod chip. <laughs> <laughs> you remember having to carry memory cards to places? Yes, and like, yes. I got my game on here. Let's play it. Yeah. Oh, man. That's oh, funny. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, actually, I got to, uh, while I was working there, I sold um, the British Bulldog. Uh, from WWF back in the day, I sold him like twelve hundred bucks worth of equipment. He just showed up one day with his son and was like, "What do we need?" And I'm like, "This, this, 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 this." this. And he's like, "Okay, I'll take it." Probably the easiest sale I ever made. <laughs> wow! Yeah. Here we go. Were you a big wrestling guy? Did you love wrestling? Uh, I don't know if I really loved it. Like, I it was cool, and I remember watching it. I remember having lots of fun back in the uh, in the eighties, and then. I just kind of got bored of it after a while, but it was still pretty neat. Like I was like, is that the British Bulldog? And the dude I was working with, the manager at the time was like, just stunned. He was a huge wrestling fan. He (laughs) didn't know what to say. didn't know what to do. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess that is, that's who we think it is. Yeah. Deer and headlights just staring at him. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He, yeah, it was pretty cool, but he had the biggest smile on his face for the Mm -hmm. rest of like a week later, week later. He's just like, I got to, I got to meet the British Bulldog. It was pretty cool. May his soul rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. There's uh, too many people have gone that way, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. From, from back in the day. I guess I'm just getting old now. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, remember there was Chris Benoit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Owen Hart, who, like, there's just so many of them that. Uh, it's funny, though, when you actually look it up, how many are still around? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like beat the shit <laughs> like they're they're kind of oh they're just crippled. everything hurts yeah. and they're old and they're crippled and uh i saw uh brett hart came out to uh, he was oh, in yeah. ontario when i was in meaford and he showed up with the base and he just started talking to people and hanging out and okay. so i got to meet him uh but yeah he was oh, man you could see it like every movement hurt and he went to shake your hand and like you could feel his knuckles were all kind of gnarled and like yeah, was, yeah. i mean just imagine the hits and the the takedowns year after year yeah oh yeah and and you know playing hurt and working injured and then getting more injured and then still having to i mean the same thing we did in the army too right was was just you know oh well it hurts okay (laughs) you gotta go you got shit to do like let's go all right can you walk yeah all right let's go it's literally the show must go on kind of a thing yeah yeah and we're paying for it like my body's pretty broken so yeah are you still feeling it till this day? When oh, it's yeah. cold outside, do you, your, your knuckles or your hands hurt? Knees, back, <clears throat> shoulders, 
um, when it gets really like when a storm's coming and you can feel the pressure change, uh, my like I can't hear. My hearing starts to go away and my tinnitus gets much louder and um, yeah, and then everything hurts more and everything and just everything sucks. <laughs> just harder to do anything. Uh, but again, the one good thing we got out of the military out of that was just keep going. We got shit to do. All right, you're gonna go slow. Cool, keep moving. Uh, almost like that determination regard or perseverance regardless of the circumstance yep yeah if you, if you can't uh it's like if you we need to get there right now okay can you run yeah no okay walk can you walk no can you crawl no can you slide can you roll around can like just can you make forward progress regardless of uh the difficulties that you're going through however small that forward progress is because you're going to step that next person up just a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit farther. So. Especially what you were doing. I mean, I guess if we take it back, you know, what was it? Since like the age of four, you've known you wanted to be a soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no, uh, no doubt about it. I have a picture of when I think I was, I think I was four. And I have one of those old uh, olive drab sweaters and it says, army across the front and the old stencil and grab oh, right yeah. in. Yeah. I always wanted to be a soldier. That was, that was it. It was the coolest thing I could possibly imagine. And, uh, did you ever play with yeah, those little men that we would get? <laughs> Joe Joe's man. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I had all those guys. Um, and even then outside of it, I would, I would practice trying to be a soldier. I had no idea what the hell I was doing, but I would be outside practice be like marching around goose stepping for some reason, or I'd be just standing sentry on top of a friggin', uh, the treehouse we had once in the country was mm -hmm. I just, I would stand there for hours, <laughs> shoulder arm, just like I'm fucking hardcore. And no, I was not hardcore. <laughs> Honey, is, is our son okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'd just be looking outside like, eee. and the funny thing is my mom's like a hippie. So uh, I was like the other know. side of it. Yeah, it was, uh, it was mm -hmm. pretty good. Good times. What, was grandparents in the military? Uh, yeah, my, well, my granddad on my mom's side was also a combat engineer. Uh, he served in World War II and never talked about it. Not until I got back from Afghanistan did we ever have like a little chat. Um, it was just more of a, yeah, granddad was a soldier at one point. And that was it. Um, but my dad's side of the family are all like ranchers, country boys, that kind of stuff. They never, uh, my granddad on my dad's side was going to sign up, but then he broke his ankle uh riding or trying to get down from a horse or something i don't can't remember exactly how he broke his ankle but he broke his ankle and that was it you're uh, the cattlemen right the cattle ranchers yeah 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 we we're cows yeah 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 it's it uh i think he got like he it was early when they tried when he tried to sign up i think it was like at 39 when the war like broke out and then because he broke his ankle he got a like a, hey, your ankle's yeah. messed up, sorry, you can't march. Little did they know that he was still walking, you know, ten to fifteen miles just to go down, <laughs> to go down the road to get his cattle back, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, it's got, like the farm tough. Like the, there's a different vibe, isn't there? Like, yeah, well, when I mean, tough. I was just talking to a buddy of mine, um, and I was saying that you know I, I got, um, I relied a lot on the fact that you just work. Like in, in my mind, in my mentality growing up, that's what I saw people do, whether they were hurt, whether they were struggling, whether they were doing anything, you just keep working until the job's done. 
Even if you didn't want to work. Especially if you didn't want to work because like it's still got to get done, right? It's going to be there tomorrow or the next day or the next day. So you just work until it's done or you work until it's dark. And then you start again tomorrow. And that's just uh, so when I joined the army, you know, they would be like, we're going to do more. We're going to go farther. And I'd be like, OK, <laughs> like, there was never much of a uh, a shock to the system where some guys were, you know, we do like a 10K march. And then they'd be like, we're going farther. And, and I'd just be like, yeah. yep. Okay, man. Just tell me when to stop. I don't really like <laughs> when you say stop, I'll stop at that point. Uh, then we'll carry on. But yeah, there is a different vibe when you talk about farm boys. They, uh, everything's done by hand. So, oh yeah. Did you get into combat engineering because of granddad? Uh, I think. I think I got interested in it because of that. It was, I was like, Ooh, I wonder what that is. And then I even though he work. wasn't sharing it with you, that's yeah. I think that was part of it was like the mystique of it. Like, Ooh, I wonder what it is. Right. Like who knows? And, uh, yeah, I started looking it up and they're like, we do high explosives and dealing with mines and bridges. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I am down. Let's do that. You were going to be, you're going to pay me to blow things up. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Sign me up. Where do I go? Over up. there? Cool. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, that was a big part of it. And then um, the, uh, but yeah, once I, you know, realized what it was, and especially when I got back from Afghanistan um, and I sat down with my granddad and he actually talked to me about what he was doing. It was, uh, I think it was a little, you know, checking the box like, yep. Okay. I did. I kind of did the same thing. <laughs> I wonder what it is, though, uh, you know, whether it's a first responder that's now retired. Because, so I've been doing advocacy stuff for quite some time now, and I've been um, talking to other people, obviously, on my podcast and all this other stuff. Um, and I think the biggest issue is, in order to give you context, we have to tell you things that you don't actually want to hear in order for you to flesh out, like, the actual thing that happened. Right. So in terms of a, a firefighter or a police officer or something like that, you know, uh, a police officer says, yeah, I went to a really bad call. There was this car accident and a lady died like that. That's OK. That's pretty simple. Right. But what you don't see or what you don't hear about is the context surrounding that. So like I had I had a guy I was talking to who said, you know, I had to deal with this car accident. Um, but just prior to that, I had picked up a box of donuts that I was going to bring home for the family. And I really wanted to, you know, I was feeling really good. And then I show up this car accident and this lady is smeared mm. across the roadway and the car is totaled. And in the back seat, there's a box of Timmy's donuts. And so it links the trauma to his, I want to take care of my family. I want to do something good. And now all of a sudden this traumatic thing is attached to it. And it's a lot of that stuff. So when we talk about Afghanistan, when we talk about, um, you know, wartime stuff, someone who's never been there, never been through the training, never been through the experiences that lead up to the moments that become traumatic, others don't have the context to it. So in order for us to give you that context, we have to then dive back into that feeling of vulnerability and um, pain and uh, connection and loss and all these things that we don't really want to. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally. And chance does it uh, does it get easier every time you you talk and share the stories? 
does the pain alleviate your body? Uh, it, it gets easier. I don't know about uh, alleviating. It's like, if you think it, it's actually very much to like working out or using muscles or stuff mm -hmm. like that. You know, if you're going to sit there and bench, I don't know, whatever would be considered heavy for you, right? And you're going to lift that over time, you lift that enough times that it's going to feel lighter. Uh, but it's still 125 pounds. It's still 280 pounds. It's still whatever that weight is, right? Um, unfortunately, the, the flop side of that is when you don't share it, it's like holding that bar up. You're just sitting there with that weight. You're just holding it for, for years and years and years. And like, so I talked to uh, my granddad after I got back from Afghanistan because I was finally somebody he could go, you know, I don't need to give you the context. I don't need to share the extra stuff. I can just tell you a story and you'll go, oh yeah, okay, I get it. Could you see it in his eyes kind of what he now, what happened? Like you can feel yeah. it. Yeah. It was, uh, like a soldier can see another soldier and say, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost instant. And I walked into the room that he was in when I first got back and I had been back for like two days. <laughs> like I had just gotten home and, uh, I, I walked in and he looked at me and I looked at him and he went like this and I, mm -hmm. like he just, you know, and, uh, and then I sat down and I, as we were talking and, you know, going over stuff, and <clears throat> I realized that he, he'd been sitting there holding that bar, holding that weight, holding all that trauma for 70 years, right? <laughs> just, and it was, it was in that moment where I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be that guy. And that's when I started talking about stuff. That's when I started, mm -hmm. I started engaging my wife initially. And I was like, you know, these are the feelings I'm in and this is what's happening. And as hard as it was for me to explain that to her in that moment, the next time I didn't have to explain it to her, right? I, fireworks would go off and I'd be all jacked up. And that would trigger you if you'd hear fireworks. Well, so for me, it is now, but <clears throat> so when we were in Massengar, we would get rocketed all the time. Like it was, mm -hmm. uh, pretty much daily. And the, so after I got home, I was living in Morinville at the time. Okay, let's just, for the listeners, yeah. like, so how long? <laughs> I got lots of backstory on this. I love this. Okay. So how long have you been in the military at that time before you were deployed to Afghanistan? Uh, I had been in the army for maybe before I deployed two years. So I did, I signed up in January or December of 05. I got swore in at that point in time. I left for basic in January of 06, did all of my trades training and all of my courses up into getting to posted to my regiment in, uh, that was all basically all of 06. I showed up in October in Edmonton. And w did you know you were headed to Afghanistan while you were training? Absolutely. Yeah. We were, as we're doing our training, all the instruct, this is actually, so this is during 2006. Op Medusa is happening in the summer of 06. And that was when I was doing my trades course. <laughs> so as I was being trained to be a combat engineer, the guys that were teaching us had friends overseas in combat at the time. <laughs> so they were sitting, they were telling us the whole time, this is where you're going. Uh, Understand that, that people are dying. Friends of ours are dying right now and that's where you're headed so if you don't if you're not into that leave because this is what's happening and we were all like right fuck could, yeah <laughs> at the time could you say can you just put me at on a reserve somewhere to work or no you're just like no if I, these are our people we need to be yeah it if you said i don't want to be here it would be 
out. Like you, you're you're done. You're out of the army. <laughs> oh, no, okay. Like, it's not like oh, I just want to hang out here. <laughs> yeah, no. It's oh, okay. uh, at at that point in time, if you weren't uh, in a combat arms trade, if you were in a combat arms trade and you didn't want to go overseas, that was the end of your career. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, basically, um, and it, it's unfortunate, but that was at the time that's what it was. And uh, so yeah, we did all of my training in 06 during that um, huge chunk of combat through the summer and the battle of the white school and all these things that are happening was while I was training. So we were like, we were getting reports and this is two more guys got injured and it was, it was a deal. And um, I got to my unit in October of 06. Mm -hmm. We started our workup training for Afghanistan in January of 07. We did all of our workup through 07 and we left 2008. So I had been like training for about two years and then I hit Afghanistan in 08. And how old were you at this time? <sighs> I would have just turned 25. I got in at 20. I got a little, little, I was an old man when I got in actually. So I was 23 when I first got in. There's a whole other story as to why it was 23 when I got in, but that's besides the point. Um, but tell me this: so you, you're, you're getting deployed to Afghanistan. What is your mom thinking? Your family, yourself? What are you thinking? I mean, obviously, there's a, a bit of excitement, but at the same time, this was there fear because you're hearing about all these stories of people dying. I, back, I, I don't. I was that fearful of it. I was, um, I was excited. I was feeling really confident because uh, our training was extensive. Um, and a lot of us, we were all, in, we were all in really good shape. We were all ready to go. We were, and we, and all of us, I think were bolstered by the fact that we were looking around and everyone was like, yeah, like we're going to get it. Like, <laughs> all right, boys. Um, to the point that when we were actually overseas and I think I had been, it had been, it was a while before I actually even got shot at and I was, getting annoyed that I hadn't got shot on yet. <laughs> it's like what the hell, like we've been, we've been getting these stories from 06 to 07 of these running gun battles and so on and so forth. And I was, I think the excitement was, I really wanted to see what I was capable of. That was the big one was like, well, when, when the chips are down, when shit hits the fan, mm -hmm. am I going to actually do the job? Or am I going to freak out? Like, because you never really know until a bullet snaps past your head and then you go, Game one on. or the other right and uh and yeah the, that the same thing you just so as a combat engineer while you're blowing things up and setting mines and plans and strategies uh for infrastructure are the men around you the ones that would ha carry the weapons and protect you during that time period or do you also have a oh yeah no we're we're so <laughs> the co combat engineers are there, there is, there is points where we do that, and you're normally you'd have infantry with you there as protection. But we do all carry weapons. We all like we get attached to the infantry and do those jobs from the front. It's not like it's we sit back at the end, wait till the area is clear, and then we wander up like, okay, so we're gonna build a bridge here. And uh, what? No, it's not like that. It's if you need a bridgehead, that means the infantry have hit the water, and there's enemy on the other side. So the infantry are gonna hold that water line while we come up and start building while the enemy is shooting at us and they're shooting it back. And so it's supposed to be that style. Like if you think of, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, 
uh, a bridge too far. They have a quite a, it's a really great movie. You ever get a chance made in the sixties, but it's about operation market garden for war two. And it has a really great scene in it of a bunch of engineers that come up, start building a bridge mm. that, uh, a previous bridge had been blown up by, uh, the Germans. And so they get there and they start building and they, the infantry are, everyone's just sitting there waiting. Like we got to get across, like, let's go. And so right, right. they just start building, building, building. That's, that's the bridging portion of it. But we're also the guys that look for mines and IEDs. So when we're on a patrol, the engineer's in front, he's the first guy in the, the, the head of the patrol <laughs> and he's sweeping the ground. And then I'd have usually a, an infantry either right behind me or like three or four feet back watching my arcs because I'm looking at the ground, that kind of stuff. So it's not that we, uh, and I, I carried a machine gun too. So it wasn't <laughs> if, if we were to take fire while moving, the metal detector would go away and the machine gun would come out. So that moment where you were getting fired at, was it like you imagined it was going to be? Cause obviously there's reality and then there's perception of what we think it's going to be. Uh, it was definitely more intense than I thought it was going to be. Like I figured I'd have a little bit more, I don't know, wherewithal of what was going on around the situation. But yeah, I mean, when that first round cracked past my head, it, it just, my body started working. I honestly, I wasn't really even thinking about what I needed to do. That bullet pat went past my head. I immediately took cover and I started returning fire before my brain was like, oh shit. <laughs> like I'm, I'm saying, oh shit, they're shooting at me and I'm already engaging that kind of thing in my head. Right. Um, so the, the, the body just takes over because we're tra you train over and over and over and over. And it's like somebody else contact or you hear that snap that goes past your ear. Mm -hmm. you just yeah. work. Would I be able to kill someone? You know, th those thoughts come through your head. Do you, but I guess if you're put in that position, you have, you don't have a choice. Like, and, and it's not, it's not so much a thought process of, I'm going to kill that guy. I'm no, going to kill no, that guy. No. Right. It's the thought. It's more of they're like, that's where the rounds are coming from. So that's where I'm going to train. Right. Exactly. My machine gun. Right. So that I'm going to hit that. And if, you know, the idea is to neutralize the situation. Stop the rounds from coming. <laughs> exactly, right? As soon as they stop, okay, cool. We're good to go. It's after the fact that you start thinking about that stuff and you start going, was that me? Did that, were the, were the my round? But I mean, you're, we the first, the first firefight I got into, we were actually a full company uh, of infantry, no, uh, full, full platoon, sorry, of infantry that we were spread out with my engineer section. So we had walked in in the morning when it was dark and we had got lined up when we waited for the sun to rise and we were in insurgent held territory. I called them pick a fight patrols because that was the whole point of them was we were like walking right into Taliban territory going, get some, like we're right here. And uh, yeah, so they would wake up and be like, oh no, the Canadians are here and they would start shooting at us and we would mop the floor with them kind of thing. Canadian soldiers, like we have all this gear and the Taliban have nothing. It's like, how the hell are they so advanced? <laughs> they, they've been fighting for 50 years. I, I guess, yeah, it's, a, it's in their blood. But I'm just thinking, holy shit, like you guys literally don't wear anything. You're just firing away. Like, yeah, and a lot of it is um, they they truly believe. I, I don't know if all of them believe this, but a lot of them, a lot of the ones we've talked to, truly believe in Inshallah, like it that it is God's will. 
And if they get killed, they were supposed to get killed there. If they kill somebody else, the, that's what they were supposed to do. There's, so there's no thought process of like, mm. oh, I'm going to go take on the Canadians, but look at them. They're in the tent. They're in these giant freaking vehicles that shoot 25 millimeter rounds and they get they, out and there's a hundred of them and they don't care. It's just like, I need to go kill some Canadians or I need to go kill some invaders or whatever it is they look at us as. Um, but that's like, they, it's not this, we don't have the same thought process because I'm there because, you know, my government sent me obviously, but really when it, when it really boils down to it, when the gunfire starts, I'm a machine gunner. My whole job is to protect everybody with fire superiority, right? So if I, if I can get fire superiority, I'm protecting those around me. And that's, that's it. That's the only thought process in my head at that point in time is like, do I, am I making sure that these guys can move or that they're not taking fire or whatever, because that's my job when I'm sweeping the ground, same thing. I'm looking for an IED and I've said many, 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 many times that I would rather miss something with my metal detector and step on it, then miss something with my metal detector and not step on it. Because if it's just me that goes good, I've done my job. But if it's someone three, four, five people down the line, then I've, I've failed completely. So. Wow. Yeah. That's brave, man. <laughs> it's, it's the job though. Like, this is, I, I think a lot of us would feel this way though, right? So your, your best friend, right? If you're walking down the street and you were able to foresee some random crazy guy was going to jump the curb and hit him. Not you. No. And you had the option. You had the choice in that moment to say, I'm going to push him out of the way. And it. it's going to be you, right? Well, there you go. It's the same thing. It's, it's like, I think before I was in the army, I used to think the same way of like, you know, these super brave and uh, amazing acts of valor and uh, all these things. It really just comes down to like, that guy's my brother. Humans, uh, decency, you know, it's that, yeah, humans well, being humans. Yeah, we're tribe, tribe mentality, right? I want to protect the guy next to me or gal next to me or whoever it is next to me. That's my whole purpose in, in that moment. That's my whole purpose in life. Outside of that moment, it changes obviously, but. During that time, were you able to, close your eyes and sleep and continue on the mission. Yeah. 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 It wasn't until, wasn't until after I got home that things started to go pear shaped because the work is always there. That's the thing. But like when you're overseas, the work is there every day you wake up, you just, we're going on another patrol or we're waiting for a QRF call or we're waiting for that or these things or whatever. Like, Oh, so there's not like one, it's like, it's day off. And day off means probably just getting yourself ready. Yeah, laundry. Eat, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Feed, repack the gear, do counts, do some training. Any downtime you have while you're over there is basically spent doing stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only time I think I ever really had like downtime where we would sit and play on the Xbox that I had brought with me <laughs> and uh, it was at night. And even then, you're just waiting to get a rocket because it always comes in at night. So you're waiting for the explosion, in which case then you have to stop and then you have to go to your bunker and then you have to sit there for an hour to make sure that they don't shoot more. <laughs> and, then, and then off you go back to the rest of your stuff and then you got to prep your gear and make sure your rifle's good and you clean all the, like all this stuff happens throughout the day that you never really stop. Chance, if you could rewind time, would you 
still have wanted to be a soldier. Yeah. I, I still wish I could be a soldier. <laughs> the no, thing. You still like, are. You still I, are. In just well, different and, ways now. You know, t- yeah. having your podcast, talking to individuals, sharing your story. I mean, we need to need need to hear these things, you know, as civilians and just everyday folks to know is like what happened. I, I couldn't agree more. And the uh one of the reasons I actually got the podcast started was Let's for the listeners. What's the podcast called? So the podcast is called Tools for the Toolbox, and it is a. Uh, I talk to vets and other people as well. Um, I don't really limit it to vets, uh, but I talk to vets because it's easy to understand other vets to understand, right? And uh, as I was saying earlier, but the uh, the concept is is that we each have tools, right? You have tools that you deal with in order to help you deal with life. I have tools in order to help me deal with life. And those tools might be similar. Sometimes they're slightly different. Sometimes they're completely different. Sometimes they're exactly the same. But everybody has them. Mm-hmm. And we, when, we, when we share them, usually it's to a friend, right? We'll sit, this is how mine started was the fact that we were hanging out, drinking beers, shooting the shit, talking, you know, swapping stories, blah, 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 blah. And somebody would always be like, oh, yeah, no, I haven't been sleeping well or, you know, um, my wife and I are just not, we're not doing well. Like anything, they'd come up, they'd have a problem, right? And one of us would invariably be like, oh yeah, been there. The, you know, this is what I did yeah. and it helped. Or this is what I did and it fuck, and didn't work at all. But we just offer them out there personally to our friends. And uh, we, we had this one time where... Uh, we, we spent like four hours sitting there. We probably had too many beers because it was a really in-depth conversation. <laughs> and uh, we talked about what it was to be a soldier before a war, during the war, and afterwards. Like wh- what that actually means to us. And uh, we finished the whole conversation and we got up to go pay and somebody was like, dude, we should have recorded that. That would have made an awesome podcast. And I was like, hmm. Indeed it would. Indeed it would. And so, yeah, I got it started because it's like that. We need to share these stories. We need to share these tools so that every, just they're, so that they're out there. And I do the same thing with my boys when, as I'm, you know, teaching them when they're having a hard time. I give them options. You know, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. You can do this. All of these things are going to have different consequences. Some of them good, some of them bad. The choice is yours. What are you going to do? We all have choices, right? <laughs> That's it. Uh, my my biggest thing, um, my di- big tagline from the, the podcast is uh, grace, not slack. Because you have to give yourself grace. Because anytime you start something, you're going to suck at it. Totally. Right? And anytime you get somewhat good at something, by the time you realize that you know nothing is when you finally reached a point where you're like, okay, you have some competency, right? And then you go, oh. Right. <laughs> There's all of this other stuff I have to learn too. Um, and uh, I just freaking lost my train of thought there. My brain just blanked out. Well, how, how, how this is, you know, when we were talking about it and I said, how many years had you been in the military mm. at the time? Um, you started talking to your wife and said, hey, I'm, I'm something's going on. Something's yeah. not right here. What exactly were you thinking about and and how many months later did it start creeping into you? And and obviously for the listeners, we're talking about PTSD and trauma. Yeah. 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 So I, uh, well, I got diagnosed in 2012, but I, I think I realized that there was a problem 
probably about 2010 because I was still at my unit and I was not pleased to be there to say the least. Like I was, I was angry and I was bitter and I, I was looking at everyone else going, why the fuck are they getting shit? And I'm doing nothing. Like I was, I was getting really, um, like they're, they're getting shit, meaning like, like I, 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 well, courses or guys are going on exercises down the States or they get to go do fun shit that I, and I was, mm-hmm. I had been moved into the, uh, the intelligence cell within my unit. So I was, I was just getting reports of people getting blown up and friends that are dying. And like, it was just, it, it sucked, but I, like, I saw it as my job and I wanted to do it. But when I signed up, I signed up to be a fucking engineer, not an intelligence guy. Mm-hmm. So it was very hard to sit there in that cell by myself every day doing a sergeant and a lieutenant's job by myself mm-hmm. <laughs> watching guys get to go on you know air assault courses or um, go on their jump course or go on just stuff. but because i was the only guy in that room i was not able to go on any courses so uh i started to get really angry i started to really not want to go to work whereas before i was always like excited like all right let's get some and I just, I started to look around. I started to see like political games and machinations, and, you know, this the office worker stuff that I was getting really annoyed with. Uh, and then I was supposed to go on another tour and uh, due to some issues with me and a Sergeant Major, <laughs> I got taken off that tour. And, and that's when I started going like, there's a problem here. Now, I originally, I thought it was the unit. I thought this place is horrible right so i asked for a posting i went to ontario had a much better place to be surrounded by awesome people doing a lot of fun teaching like being an actual instructor i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. and i was still pissed off every day and i was still not sleeping and i was still being angry and, and bitter and not wanting to be involved in stuff and and i was like Okay, so it's not the place. <laughs> What's the common denominator here? I like it's, okay, it's got to be me. And I was talking to my wife, and I was saying, you know, I'm just I'm not sleeping. I'm still not sleeping here. And she said, because we were, um, it's called IR, so she was it's called imposed restrictions. So she was in Edmonton, and I was in Meaford. So I was just talking to her on the phone. I was by myself, and uh, you know, I'm getting like maybe four hours of sleep a night of like broken in between nightmares and uh just not being able to sleep and stuff and then i do that all week training and then on saturday my body would like crash and i'd sleep basically all day and i'd wake up sunday and then i'd have to start all over again um so but my wife finally said um she was like maybe it's just a sleep issue like why don't you go talk to the doctors and say maybe it's just like maybe sleep apnea or like maybe it's something sleep wise uh and i said yeah, no, that's actually a good idea. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe it is. Mm-hmm. And PTSD had not even entered into my brain. <laughs> like, that wasn't even an option at that point in time. And then I went to the the docs and I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm having a trouble sleeping." And they set me up an appointment with this dude, and we started talking, blah blah blah. And at the end of it, he was like, "You know, I just want to really, you know, applaud your bravery for coming in today." And I'm like, "What are you talking about, man? Like, it's just a sleep issue. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> um. And then, yeah, I went and saw a psych and they were like, yeah, you have your post-traumatic stress disorder and major depressive disorder uh, and an anxiety disorder as well. And then, so I was like, well, what does that mean? And they're like, 
well, you're just going to have to manage, you know, we're going to walk through it and we're going to go through all these places and go, go through all, I'm like, yeah, but I'm like, am I still working? And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you're good. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and then, so, uh, yeah, we started working with the doctor and started, uh, the process of dealing with all that shit from there. And that, that was, I, w- I went through, you know, some successes and then a huge trough and some little bit more success and then another huge trough. And this is the thing that most people don't understand about trauma is that when you actually start, when you engage trauma, you're going to go down a lot. <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden you're like, aha, and straight up. No, because no, no. you got you to gotta dig into all the shit that you've been holding up for so many years. And uh, so that's one of the hardest parts about trauma is like you're going downhill. You're going downhill a long way before you start climbing back up. Yeah, it's like that rock bottom. But you know what? There is a beauty in being at rock bottom because you can rebuild yourself. Otherwise, you hold that in. I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, your granddad, 70 years. And how many individuals oh. like that holding that in? And think about not only that, but the effect that they had on everyone around them. Yeah. Right. And this was the big thing that I, I actually had to change doctors because uh, this one guy I was seeing just him and I didn't mesh and I was getting worse and I just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and then one day I walked into the room and my son was maybe, I don't know, maybe two. Okay. And I just walked, I didn't do anything. I just like walked into the room and he saw me and he flinched. And I was like, okay, <laughs> that's not okay. That like, I'm, I'm, I'm the problem again. So how do I sort the problem out? And then I started, I found a new doctor. I talked to a buddy of mine and he was like, you know, you can just see anybody, right? Like you don't have to see the guy the army told you to go see. And I was like, oh, I did not know that. But it's also you started getting comfortable in trust, right? It's your mind. It's you need to put in a safe place too. Because if I leave it with this guy and he's messing with me, I mean, that's a dangerous place to be. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. And it's not even his fault. Like, it's not like he was being malicious or trying to mess me up. Just the vibe, right? Didn't connect. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, eventually I found this, uh, my doc that I still have now, she's awesome. And she got me with, uh, into equine therapy and equine therapy. What is that? Working with horses. Uh, so you're doing like a therapy session with a horse. Um, but what it does, so the thing is horses are they're, they're prey animals, which means that they are um, hunted, a hunted species. So they they have this innate ability that they can actually, you know, they, they're more, I guess, more attuned to the surroundings. So that means if there are, uh, you know, people around them or horses around them that are uh, agitated, then all of them feel that immediately, right? So if one horse spooks, that's why they all run. You got the whole herd that takes off because one spooked or same thing with deer or elk mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, it only takes the one to see something and then they all move. Mm-hmm. Um, so because they're so attuned and aware, horses are special in this way is that they actually are gregarious by nature, similar to humans. And for us Afghan vets, they work really well because we were prey animals the whole time we were there. While we were in Afghanistan, like we were... The only time we would go on the offensive was when we would go do one of those pick a fight patrols, right? Once we're actually fighting, I'm fighting you, I'm fighting you, I'm on the offensive. I have the the uh, superiority in that manner. 
because I have all these things like marksmanship and body armor and well, you know, training and all these things. Um, but the rest of the time with all the IDs, I'm a prey animal. Those people are hunting me because I don't know where they are. I don't know where the bombs are. I don't know if they're going to ambush me. Any movement anywhere we go, even huddling inside our fob, <laughs> right? You're, you're under threat. You're not offensive at that point. Everything's defensive. Have you so, seen some IEDs go off before? <laughs> a number of them. Yeah. I got, uh, um, well, I was on for the eight months I was overseas, I was on QRF for five. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we all, all we did was like an IED would go off, off we went. If somebody came under contact, off we went. We were like the rescue, like, hey, we're going to come save you guys, right? So anytime anybody got hit or engaged, we went We went to deal with it. So we started searching for secondaries and dealing with some cleanup and all that good stuff. Um, and then there were days that they just didn't stop, right? I got kicked out of my rack one day at like, I don't know, it was like 1.30 in the morning or something like that. And like let's go. We got shit to do. Okay. And you're like, okay, you can get your half asleep and get a gear on you throw in the, get in the truck. You drive off to where you're going to go. You show up, you deal with that for four or five, six hours while everything gets cleaned up and you're looking for secondaries and searching for other bombs and all this other stuff. And then you think you're done and like, okay, we're going to head back and no, somebody else came under contact. Off you go to the next one. And then, so it's kind of like being an ambulance or a police officer. Like you're, it's just called, 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 called. So sleep was not even an option <laughs> well i i took the option i was like uh anytime we started moving i'd get into the back of the lab and i'd be like mm. <laughs> just That's good yeah out. um but the the trick was is that they had to wake me up every time we stopped <laughs> so i'd like to be like what what's happening where are we oh we're here okay what are we doing uh but so it wasn't the best uh situation for me but you know it, i i just took it where i get it because there were days like we went from you know, one thirty in the morning that day. And we didn't get back until, you know, two or three 30 the next day. So you're out for plus 24 hours constant, just, you know, under stress, moving, move, 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 doing stuff. And then, okay, now we're back, hang out, go back to bed. And you're like, okay, cool, man. <laughs> you just go back to sleep. Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, that was a wild place. Did you know going into Afghanistan that, there's a thing called PTSD and, you know, you need to be aware of this. Cause I always wonder, okay, we're talking about it today. Um, you know, like your granddad and the world war two vets and before them, you know, it's a generational thing. Is there ways to, I mean, I don't think you can prevent it cause we're all human beings, but is there a way to reduce it or f- cope with it better i mean obviously i think with technology us doing this is a great thing opening up your podcast is phenomenal because i think i was talking to tim mm-hmm. uh, Gunny. Gunny. Yeah, yeah yeah and i said we're talking about the legions you know back then that's what that was everyone would meet up there mm-hmm. but the times have changed yeah and the way we interact has changed that's a big one too right we don't like my generation of vets don't need to go to a bar to hang out Right, we don't need the the alcohol as a common place for us to chill. Whereas back in the day, you know, you look at the end of the '40s. That's what you did. That's where you met people. That's where you hung out with people. Was you would go to the bar or the speakeasy or the pub or the whatever it was, the Legion, and that's what they did. That's why they still have you know um, 
dart tables and pool rooms and they do dances on Sunday. And it's because of that generation. That's what they put in place because that's what they did. We don't do that anymore, right? Like our generation doesn't go to pool halls. Some do, but it's not as popular as it used to be. No, or it's not as frequent. It's like if you yeah. might, you guys might get together for a big event or something. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or like a dart tournament. You know, you you might see some people, uh, you know, my age doing it, and they, yeah, okay, cool, that's lots of fun. But it's not really part of the culture anymore. So it depends on what group you're in beforehand, whether that is, yeah. um, you know, culturally appropriate. And that's why I think that the legion is starting to fade away. Is that they haven't moved. They haven't evolved with the people. <laughs> like they just still do the same things that my granddad did, because that's what they've always done. And you know, cheap beer and um, you know, a lot of local band are not what they used to be. <laughs> you no. know what I mean? So um, that's. But I always say on my podcast, man, like this communication network, this is gold. This is this is how we heal instead of having a generational scar you know, from the, uh, from the end of world war one, there were an entire generation that came back scarred and tried to, tried to fix themselves. And you look what happened in there, what happened in the twenties, right? A whole bunch of people come out of the military that are, have no idea what to do with their shit. And they're just like, let's fuck it, man. Life is crazy. I'm just going to party for like 10 years. Right? <laughs> That's all I know. So I try it. But it's not just their life. It's like you said, it's the families. You know, mm -hmm. if you have children, that gets passed on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, when yeah. do you break the generational curse? Yeah, and I don't even look at it as a curse. It's more of a, um, it's just a lesson. So uh, I talked about, I did a post on this a while ago, and uh, it's such a funny thing that I, I heard it in the military over and over and over again, and I thought it was more of like a joke. Yeah. Um, and it was, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And I always like, ha, 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 yeah, okay, you know, it's all about us getting beat down until we smile about it. But I heard it in a different way just recently that was the lessons will be repeated until they are learned. And I was like, oh, right. And so I started applying that to everything that I had done previous. And I was like, no wonder I didn't get courses when I was in, the, in that one period because I was an angry, bitter dude that didn't want to engage or be a part of the team. Well, yeah, why would you send that guy on a course? That makes perfect. And then like I, looking at this mm -hmm. inwards and then I started looking, you know, you look at culturally where we are right now is a reflection of 30 years ago. This is, we're now dealing with the problems that we all tried to deal with the problems from 30 years and that just... So it's that it we're we're just in this moment of iteration, and we go oh, oh okay well that's not a good idea right like <laughs> and you know you, it's unfortunately seen as a curse rather than looking at it as the lesson that it is right you you know your parents uh, drank a lot and beat you well that that's a lesson unfortunately that some people have to learn that that is a bad thing to do. And it ends with you. Or it and ends. it ends with you, exactly. And you say, I'm not going to do that to my kids. Similar to what you said in your podcast, or earlier in the podcast, was choices. We all have choices. choices. Exactly. And th that's where the tools come in, right? Because you never really know. A lot of us are just freaking swinging in the dark, right? <laughs> like, just, just I, getting by. Right? I don't know how to do this. I'm going to try this thing, and I'm going to see if this works. And um, and it's, it's interesting. I... 
uh, our, our hot water heater just like died. <laughs> it started leaking out the bottom and I had to shut it off because it would explode very soon if I didn't actually do anything with it. What a perfect timing. Right. And, uh, but I looked at it the other day, we were like, oh, we're going to have to get somebody to come in and install it. And we're going to have to get somebody to do this. And come and, and then I stopped and I was like, it's just electrical, right? Like and we're, we're going to, we're taking the gas out and we're putting in a, uh, a hybrid one, the, the heat vent ones. They're pretty cool. Anyway. Um, but I was like, it's just, it's just electrical. Like I've done lots of electrical. I can, I can do that. That Can I actually do that? And I started looking up the video and I'm like, holy shit, I can do it. It's just like a little bit of plumbing and some electrical. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. So I don't need to spend 1200 bucks on getting somebody to install it because I have the experience and I have the knowledge, but I had I not had the library of the world in my phone to go, is that actually possible? Like, let's see somebody do it. So I looked up a video on YouTube, bam, how to install this particular uh, water heater. I was like, I can do all of that. Sweet, <laughs> right? I don't have to take a shot in the dark. I don't have to pay $1,200 to get somebody to come in and do it. I know I have the skill set. I know I have the confidence. I can, okay, cool. Let's get her done. Um, but it's just, it's the same thing with, with trauma. We're, sh- we're all swinging in the dark until finally somebody catches something. And like when I caught equine therapy, I made huge strides. But up until then, I was just, what do I need to do? Somebody tell me, like, do I go, I go talk to you? Okay, we'll talk about it. Now it's getting worse. Now what do I do? You, you say keep talking about it? Okay, I don't like that idea. So I talk to this guy. What do I do? And he says, go see somebody else. Okay, you know. But then the, your hope, you know, you, you start losing hope. Eventually, yeah. And the, the, again, that's a choice, right? And if you look at it in, in that way, it's... Because uh, you could have picked up the bottle... Or you can give it one more shot, one more person. And I just put a post out yesterday um, about a hunting trip that I just came back from. And the lesson that I took from it was you're one fuck it away from success. Always, at all times, right? Try something. It, it didn't work? Fuck it, try something else. Didn't work? Fuck it, try something else. And eventually, you're going to hit something. And if your hope is in that the process will work, then you will always have hope. If your hope is that this one thing, this is going to be the fix, this will solve everything, then you're going to lose that hope because it won't solve everything. It'll solve a piece or maybe a part of it. But how much, like what part of it <laughs> and what do you need? And so um, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of just being a student. Just walk like, around of just like, what can I learn? Because every, man, I like I'm doing a bunch of renos on the house, and I just where the previous house we had bought uh, or just sold that I had completely renoed the basement on. When I started all this stuff, I, like I didn't, I kind of knew how to do it, right? Like I know how to swing a hammer, and I know how to you know put some boards together. So yeah, framing is okay. And but when I got <laughs> there's a great story, all my threes course. Uh, which is the trades qualification course. So like you do your basic and then you do a, a, an element trades course. So like an army qualification, you learn machine guns and reconnaissance, that kind of stuff. And then you do your trade course. So as an engineer, we learn engineer stuff and you have to be tested on everything mm-hmm. to make sure that you're competent, right? So they came out and they gave us a lesson on a hammer. This is a claw hammer. Safety features are this 
this, this. It has, and like literally, it was a 40 minute class on oh fucking hand, on hand tools. So I think they spent maybe 10 minutes on the hammer. Mm-hmm. But there was a guy in my class taking notes. And I was like, seriously? And we got outside and they're like, we're going to test you on this. Here's a six inch nail, drive it into this wood. And uh, we, the, the guy eventually nick, got the nickname Lightning because he couldn't hit the same place twice. But we, we had asked him about it and he's like, I've never used a hammer before. Not once. And, like he grew Gosh. up in, in urban Toronto, like downtown yeah. Toronto, like no need. Why would he ever come? And we thought it was crazy. All the guys that have grew up using hammers and tools and stuff like that. But if you're never exposed to it. You don't know. You don't know. And so, yeah, same thing with the podcast and doing advocacy and doing trauma work and helping other people and all these things is that all I can do is show someone the door. Yeah. Do you and feel like with this new generation, though, um, or of your generation of vets, have you thought to bring on the World War II vets that are remaining or are they just not going to open up? I try. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think uh, I've talked to all kinds of vets now, um, Vietnam vets and uh you know, Afghan vets, Iraq vets, um, talked to some, not on the podcast, but I've talked to some, like lots of World War II vets and Korea vets. And the one thing that actually binds us all is war. Mm -hmm. So, and you'll see it on Remembrance Day. You'll see the new generation sitting down with the old boys, listening to stories, drinking, right? Because that was their medium. That's where you get them to actually open up was when they have a bottle in their hand. So true. Yeah. And unfortunately, you see less and less of the older generation on the new medium, which is, you know, podcasts and um, video interviews and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. Because that it, it's harder, it's harder to kind of bring them up to speed in terms of how to get onto this and make sure it's all running and then being comfortable talking to a screen. Right. And then, you oh, know, yeah, totally. So yeah. there's, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so it's not that it's impossible, but it's just, it's a, it's an uphill battle because the times are different. Yeah. The times are different. And that's the thing, like we're, as we were saying earlier, right. They, the Legion was imperative back then because the medium was vulnerability through alcohol. And now vul- it's vulnerability now through anonymity kind of deal, right? Because you're not in the room with me. <laughs> so it's a little bit easier because, you know, if I really wanted to, and I, we had this conversation, it was too much for me. And I was like, man, I need you to delete that. I don't want it on there. Then you could do that. Mm-hmm. And that conversation would be gone. Totally. Yeah. Right. So you have that, a, the way to be vulnerable with a little safeguard in the background. Like I can just get rid of this if it. You know what? We empty ourselves out, don't we? We're just like this. I have nothing to hide. I, this is me. Exactly. And then you're present. You're in the moment. You're just enjoying this conversation and you're able to just be. You're free. Exactly. You don't have to worry about the past because it's done. You've, you know, the lessons either learned or it's going to be repeated. Mm-hmm. And then, like if you don't, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Interesting. Chance, yeah. you know, I've, spe- I've spoken with a few vets. Um, everyone's looking forward. Everyone's looking at chasing light, inspiring others, focused on the good, not the evil. Because um, oftentimes, 
darkness creates vengeance and bitterness in life uh, and anger. Is mm-hmm. it because you guys have seen this darkness or you have seen this darkness that all you want to do moving forward is to help individuals, help others? And, and of course, by doing so, you're helping yourself heal. So. I think that's 100% right. Absolutely. My, uh, <clears throat> my whole philosophy is to be as open as possible. I'm sure you've been in a classroom. And I'm sure you've been in uh, where the teacher has asked you, are there any questions? And the room has gone silent, right? <laughs> Nobody asked any question. The teacher says, there are no stupid questions. Somebody ask a question, right? Yeah. Because he knows that if one person's asked the question, seven other people in that room are like mm-hmm. asking the same question in their head. Like I don't, one person doesn't quite understand it. There's at least three or four more that aren't quite there. And then there's probably five or six more that aren't even listening, right? Right. (laughs) So it might be beneficial to go over it again. And I mean, when I was teaching, I did the same thing was, are there any questions? No. Okay. Are there any stupid questions? And I just, I would flat out ask people that because if you think it's stupid, you're not going to ask it, but ask me this question, you'll give me an answer and I'll be able to or you'll get a question and I'll be able to answer it for you, regardless of how stupid I think it is or whatever, you know, the other people in the class might make fun of you for it, whatever. But now you know, right? You actually got an answer to your question. And in the uh, in the same way in society, the best way to uh, build the society itself, mm-hmm. I've always said, you know, a, a key to good democracy is an populace. Then we all can see the options, right? If there are 10 options and I can only see two, I'm going to pick between these two. Who knows if the other eight were any good yeah. or better or possible or blah, blah, blah. Right? So if I, uh, uh, if I allay uh, all of your, your issues and your fears and your doubts and your, um, uh, and your self-criticisms and your stuff by being that open, then you have nothing to fear. What do you think? And then we can move forward. What do you think people can do uh, or the legions can do to help get with the times? I know it's tough. Has the legion itself metaphorically switched onto podcast now in these mediums uh, for the vets of today and tomorrow? Uh well, I mean, if you ask me to solve all the issues for the... For and it's the like, where do you start? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. But in terms of yeah. the camaraderie of uh, men, women... So the uh, the thing with the Legion is all, all they need to do is focus on the veteran, right? That, that's it. If you focus on the veteran as the mandate is, then you can grow from there. But right now, they're so focused on the tradition of the Legion. And... It 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 blows me away that you know they 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 still have these little um, small little things uh, the little bars and the little towns and so on and so forth that are you know usually off in a little corner or they're not really out on display in the town and they might have an old relic there but they're funded through the the poppy fund and all these other things look around like look at what people are doing to fundraise, look at what people are doing in order to get engagement, look at what's happening and emulate it. It doesn't take a whole lot, right? Like you don't need to have a whole podcast team. You don't need to set up these things that are all super professional. You just need people that actually care about the veteran. 
And once you have that, then your focus shifts because you're not concerned about having the bar. You're not concerned about having dart leagues and, uh, you know, the, the things that have normally kept those doors open because you're focused on what it is the veteran actually requires. And, uh, my buddy and I sat down, we actually had a really great conversation about this. Uh, and his idea was that, you know, they, instead of having five or six different legions in a big city, you have one and you put it on the main bar strip and you make it a successful, um, like pub style thing, right? Where everybody can come in. It's called the Legion. It's got all the memorabilia. It looks great. It's this, you know, it's the place to go to for a drink when you want to go hang out. And then you have a separate upstairs that has a smaller bar and it's veterans only. And then up there you have offices that have all of your outreach programs and all of your funding programs and all of your stuff. So it's not like, you know, going off to the Legion to go get help. Right, you're you're going down to the Legion to go talk with the boys, and then yeah, I'm gonna go upstairs for a few minutes and go talk to that guy, and he's gonna help me out with my truck payments because I'm in a shitty spot right now. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that's the best way to do it because you have a a successful business <laughs> because you know that helps fund things, and then you're not looking at a um, you're not looking at a requirement of donations. And I mean, there's this whole thing with the poppy right now. I got a whole bunch of buddies that are in the veteran space that are, you know, making flags and t-shirts and all these other things. They want to design stuff and then sell it and then use that money to help other people. But you're not allowed to use anything with a poppy. Oh, you know that. Yeah. So the Legion, the, the Royal Canadian Legion Command actually owns the right to the Flanders poppy. So you cannot sell anything with the Flanders poppy as imagery at all. Are you serious? Yeah. Sounds a little yeah. weird to me. Dude, look it up. I got, I don't know how many dudes I got that have cease and desist letters from the Legion for using like the bullshit. image, just the image of the poppy, right? <laughs> and That's at weird. the time, like I get it because it, you know, you don't want to dilute the message, but you can't work with people. You can't say, Hey, this guy is awesome. He's a vet. He's gonna He gets the check mark. He can use it. Right. Cause then you can have licensed people and so much money from this thing goes to the Legion, right? Like it's just, again, it's not a focus on what the vet needs. It's a focus on what's good for the Legion. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause it's almost like, you know, in, in business, especially in the oil and gas companies here in Alberta, uh, there's the baby boomers and they're, fading out but there's so much new technology it's like how do you bring this technology in while they're still there and they don't want to use it because we've always done it this way Mm -hmm. and similar to the legion right there's there's certain people that are in charge and i mean there's this new generation that's like holy smokes we could totally do this i mean it's just it's a little i mean maybe might be fun but it's it's not uh do you still get a generation that goes there for drinks like Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like it, that's the thing is like in small towns, this is where those small legions are great because if you go down to like olds, yeah, there's a great legion right there and the staff there all are awesome and they care about the veterans and they want to help out. And like, I've been in there a couple of times and they're a great crew. And I've been in other small town legions like Onaway or, um, Okotoks or friggin', uh, anyway, doesn't matter. The, I've been in those small town legions and that's, that's that old generation 
they they still go there for the dart leagues and they go there for the meat draws and they go there for like the uh the sunday night dances with the live bands and that are you know playing that generation style of music and that it's that type of environment but like you said they're fading out so all those little legions are starting to die yeah because the people just aren't there anymore and the the you know the crowd doesn't like I, again i get it i don't want to go to the legion like, that's not where i would want to go for a drink I kind of go there every once in a while just to say, you know, I went down to the Legion to go for a drink, but it's not a... Sound like a night out kind of a thing. Exactly, yeah. Whereas <laughs> if you made it like a really cool pub with, you know, actual stories and actual memorabilia up on the walls and where people could sit and have a drink and like look at, you know, Victoria Cross medal from um, somebody that, you know, Smokey Smith or somebody like that, that, you know, you could read the story and go like, holy shit. <laughs> I love history. So that yeah. would be nuts to see. Yeah. Yeah. And conversation starters too, right? Like, like, look at that dude. He was like 22 and he, you know, was all of a sudden a flying ace and like that kind of stuff where it'd be like, that's fucking oh, cool. You know, it's uh, I think olds has uh, the bunkers there that people don't know about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was actually in school in Olds for about a year. And so okay. I went, it was at that Legion a number of times. I would mm -hmm. just go in and say hi because I was like the one Afghan vet yeah. in the whole neighborhood. So, yeah. I wonder if I should go in there and be like, with my mic, who's ready to podcast in here? Yeah. <laughs> I'm setting up. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they might, they might be like, oh, that's a good idea. And they might call some people in. I, I brought all my gear to, uh, I was just in Operation Pegasus Jump out in, um, uh, where was it? Campbell River out on the island. Absolutely wicked. And I mean, it, I was, I had all kinds of issues, all kinds of issues. I did multiple uh, interviews where my board didn't record anything. Oh, <laughs> I was, no. I was, I was just lucky enough that I had my camera recording. So I had to like, again, I got home and I was trying to fix the audio and, I had to learn all kinds of new audio editing techniques and trying to f clean this up and add these then just to get it so that it was viable. Or, you know, I could have made the choice and be like, yeah, this is garbage. I'm not touching it and throw it out. And that conversation would be gone versus pushing myself to just work a little harder, try to figure this out, do another iteration. Okay. That didn't, okay. That didn't work either. Okay. That didn't work either. Oh, that sounded pretty clean. And then the funny thing is, is I'm also I have like pretty big hearing loss. So I'm a deaf guy doing audio engineering. <laughs> it's not the smartest thing, but again, it, it forces me to just learn, push, learn. push yourself. Exactly. You're going to fail. Just keep going. Yeah, exactly. You're going to fail. That's the best. Like you, it's going to happen. You don't have like, just accept that that's, you're going to fail and you're good. All right. Well, thanks so much for today, Chance. I appreciate it, man. No worries, man. Thanks for the conversation. It's been great.